Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. We are currently in a series called Kingdom Come. We will be looking at passages at the end of Luke where Jesus prepared his followers on how to live and partner with the work of God's kingdom. Join us now as we dive into another passage. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse, come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for the greater glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Some years ago now, someone left a message on my voice uh, mail. He said, we're going to get this done. You can count on it. It was a bit more than a good wish. Maybe a little less than a promise. More of a promise than a wish. A promise, of course, is a sacred thing, even when it's made with a handshake and not a ring. Robert Bolt, in his play, A Man for All Seasons, describes a scene in which Thomas More is in the tower in London, awaiting beheading by King Henry VIII because he does not approve of his divorce to Catherine of Aragon and his approaching marriage to Anne Boleyn. Henry, uh, Thomas More's daughter Meg goes into the tower with the intention of convincing her father to recant. Begs him to recant, to go back on his vows. Thomas More says to his daughter Meg, Meg, when a man makes a promise, he holds his own self in his hand like water. And if he opens his fingers, he need not hope to find himself again. A promise is a sacred thing. Life runs well when promises are made and kept. Many people today are growing up, children growing up in a family where no promise has been made. And there is insecurity and fear that reigns in the home. If wish is all we have, how insecure and scary life would be. And wish is all that some people have. Wishes that have gone bad. Wishes that have left town on an outbound plane. But a promise by someone who's trustworthy. Now that you can build your life on. We hear a promise this morning in the gospel reading. 
Jesus says to his disciples in the last chapter, in the last verses of the gospel according to St. Luke, he makes a promise. All of the gospel has been moving for 24 chapters towards this moment. And he says to his disciples, behold. Whenever you hear that word behold, that rich biblical word behold, listen up. One of the ways to translate it is, pay attention. What is coming next is very important. So he said, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. It's a promise of a promise that the father has kept through Jesus Christ. And now Jesus makes the promise to us. But before I unpack that, let me deal a moment with this word behold, because you all have been working your way, uh, from what I understand, through the Gospel of Luke that started way back in December of last year. And the first behold is found in the first chapter of the Gospel, according to St. Luke. When the angel Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary and says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And she says, how will I know, since I am only a virgin? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that which is conceived in you will be holy. And she says, what every recipient of the Holy Spirit should say, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. The second behold. Then there's a third behold in the next chapter. You know it well. I suppose the angel comes again this time to some shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night and the angel says be not afraid for behold that is what's coming next is very important pay attention behold I bring you good news of a great joy. That shall come to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then we rate 22 chapters till we get a behold. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. The Holy Spirit. He who is the unique bearer of the promise of the Father, Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, promises that he will anoint us with the same promise of the Father, the same Holy Spirit, the one who is the unique 
receiver of the Spirit is the unique giver of the Spirit. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. And we are told in the book of Acts not to resist this Spirit. And we're told in the letter to the Thessalonians not to quench this Spirit. And we are told in the letter to the Ephesians not to grieve the Holy Spirit. When he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, we are reminded that the Spirit is not a force. He's not a thing. He's not an it. He's the third person of the Godhead. The presence of God with us, in us, with us, and upon us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So Jesus says, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you. He does not invite the disciples to strategize, to plan, to organize, or deploy what little resources they have at their disposal. He says to wait until they're clothed with power from on high. And then the scriptures say this. And then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That's called the ascension. It is perhaps the most neglected teaching, major teaching in the church today. My guess is you haven't heard very many sermons on the Ascension. Maybe here at Holy Cross you have. But most of the congregations to which I preach do not hear much about the power and the importance of the Ascension. It is the major event in the life of Jesus for him. How can I explain it? Let me come at it this way. Shortly after the Japanese surrendered to the Allied forces in World War II, my father, who was serving in Burma, went to the commissary to get his mail. One of the envelopes looked so intriguing, he opened it at the moment. I'm sure his heart began to beat quickly. As he was walking back to the barracks, through the yard, I'm sure there was a new lilt in his step. His lieutenant, his commanding officer, saw him from across the way and said, Sergeant Lawrence, I've been meaning to speak to you. And as the lieutenant came to, to approach my father, they exchanged the customary salute. And the lieutenant said, Sergeant Lawrence, I want to make you a deal. I want to make you a promise that if you'll stay here until I close down this base, I'll see that you get a promotion before you're discharged. But my father, with his discharge papers in his hand, said, sir, you weren't here when I arrived, and I'm not going to be here when you leave. <laughs> sir, I have my discharge papers in my hand. I'm going home. Those soldiers in World War II, they fought for victory. They suffered for victory. Some bled for victory. Many died for victory. But they dreamed of home. In every Italian villa that they marched through, when they made their way up the boot of Italy, they brought into every Italian villa a little bit of freedom, a little bit of hope, a little bit of home. 
And those soldiers that stormed the beaches of Normandy and made their way into French villages, they brought a little bit of freedom. They brought a little bit of hope. They, little, they brought a little bit of their home into the villages of France. And you know, when Jesus walked this earth, he fought for victory too. He suffered for victory. He bled for victory. He died for victory. But he dreamed of home. And into every leper colony, into every gulag of agony, into every broken family and broken home and sick homestead and paralyzed soul, he brought a little bit of hope, a little bit of freedom, a little bit of home. And you know, when President Eisenhower, then General Eisenhower, and the troops went through Manhattan on the victory tipper take parade down the streets of New York City. In those days, you could open the windows of the skyscrapers, and people tore up phone books and everything they could get their hands on, and they let it all out. Coming down from the tall skyscrapers of New York came 100,000 tons of jubilant junk. The victors had come home. Luke doesn't go into it here in the gospel, but John the divine in the book of Revelation goes into the ticker tape prayed in heaven. He describes what took place. He says, And I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy of you, O Lord, to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation, kingdom of priests to serve our God. And they shall reign on earth. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing and every creature on earth and in heaven sing to him who sits upon the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him it's the great event of all of history And what did he do then? The Bible says he entered into a sanctuary not made with hands, a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, there to appear before God on our behalf. And what did he present to the Father? Well, he presented the same thing that he presented after his resurrection to the disciples. For you remember last week, if you were here, when you heard how Jesus appeared, he appeared to his disciples and he presented to them his hands and his feet. And when he appeared before the Father, he presented the blood hands and the bloody feet of the crucifixion, a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, self-offering, and satisfaction for your sins and my sins and for the sins of the whole world. 
he sat down in the place of all might, majesty, power, and dominion, and he sent the promise of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. You know, sometimes the Spirit of God moves very quietly, almost imperceptibly, almost as if by stealth, almost unnoticeable, except for when we are in those merry moments of quietness. The Martha moments of our busyness, we don't notice, but in the merry moments, we might. I've been keeping a journal now for 35 years. I don't know which volume this is, but it was from two years ago. And I was reading during Advent a little work by Evelyn Underhill. And the entry for December 5th went like this. I wrote in my journal, I came across these thoughtful words. Here's the quotation. Any mature person looking back on their own past life will be forced to recognize factors in that life which cannot be attributed to heredity, environment, opportunity, personal initiative, or mere chance. The contact which proved decisive, the path unexpectedly opened, the other path closed, the thing we felt compelled to say, the letter we felt compelled to write, it is as if a hidden directive power personal, living, free, we're working through circumstances and often against our intention or desire, pressing us in a certain direction and molding us to a certain design. End of quote. And then I wrote these words. To reflect on these words and on the factors that inexplicably appeared, moved, guided me at a decisive moment in my life is a wondrous reminiscence one that I could take the better part, the better portion of a day, even if I not, don't record or write down books that came my way, people, a brochure stowed in a glove compartment and forgotten and discovered at a decisive time, a contact, a door that opened, another that closed. As Shakespeare says, there is a divinity that shapes our ends, rough you them how we will. So those are the quiet moments of the Spirit that moves in your life. And then there are those dramatic moments when the Spirit is unmistakable. He's like a burning flame, a holy fire that is vibrant, vivid, dramatic, overwhelming, never-ending, the revealer of the reckless love of God that chases us down, fights till we're found, leaves the 99. We don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it still. He gives himself away for us. Let me conclude with a story. I was 10 years old, or thereabouts, and my older brother Porter, 14, and my older sister Pamela went up to spend the week with my great uncle Charlie and great auntie Ethel. 
Auntie Ethel took us along an old Indian uh, trail in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains in California up to what's called the North Fork of the Tule River. And there was a place where the, the creek came down and formed a deep, crystal clear pool, though it had copper in it, which makes it kind of a greenish tint when it gets really deep. And it was really crystal clear and copper green deep. And above the pool was a rock that looked to my eye as if a thousand feet above the pool, but it was more like around 15. (laughs) And Auntie says, you kids can go up to the top of that and jump in. My brother, a good swimmer, 14, climbs to the top, jumps right in. My sister, 12 years old, climbs up, not quite so fast, but nevertheless up, and she jumps in, and then I can go up, not a very good swimmer, and I get to the top, and I stand paralyzed, tiptoe, but not moving. Auntie Ethel says, it's okay, Mark, you can jump. My knees wobbling. She says, you can do it, go ahead, jump. I pluck up my courage. I've been holding my breath for a minute now. And I leapt. And my feet hit the surface of the water and it felt a little warm at the beginning. But the deeper I went, the colder it became. Down, down, down I went. And like I said, I've been holding my breath for a minute. And I thought, I don't know if I can hold it till I get to the top. And I felt the sandy bottom. And I pushed up came up to the bright light of day and it was just scary enough to make me want to do it again. (laughs) Fast forward some 30, 40 years. Now my Auntie Ethel is approaching death. And she's lying in a bed in a hospital 20 minutes from where I'm serving as a young priest. I would go in and awaken her. She'd let go of the bed rail and we'd talk. And I began to talk to her about this Jesus who told me to be a witness of him to every tribe, language, people, and nation, including your Auntie Ethel. And I talked to her about Jesus and how he had died for our sins. She got out of the hospital right around Easter time. And my mother decided to drive her out to the little church where I served. And there was Auntie Ethel in the back of the church when my mother came forward to get communion. And she said to me, Auntie Ethel would like communion. So I'm taking the bread back to give her communion. And thinking to myself, I don't know if Auntie's been baptized or not. But don't tell the bishop. (laughs) I gave her communion. A week or two later, she was back in the hospital. My mother called me one Sunday after the service and said, you better come quickly. Auntie Ethel's not doing well. So I met my mother and my mother's cousin there in the corridor outside of her her bed. And I said, look, I'm not going to pray that God will heal her. If you don't mind, I'm going to pray that God will take her. So we went in. I anointed Auntie with oil. I closed my eyes, put my hand on her head and began to pray. And I didn't see this because my hands, my eyes were closed. But my mother and my mother's cousin swear by it. They saw a light, a glowing presence of the Holy Spirit that went from the top of her head down to her toes and back up to the top of her head. 
and she let go of that bed rail as if she was holding on to life itself and she sank back into the bed into death when her feet hit the pool of death it might have felt a little warm but the further down she went the colder it became until she touched the bottom that was Christ and she pushed up into the bright light of a hundred thousand candles of delicate wax like an alligator come up from the mud into the bright light of day and she saw the face of Christ the Savior sometimes he moves in stealth this spirit and sometimes he moves in ways that other people can say that is him that overwhelming never ending reckless love of God that chases us down fights till we're found though he leaves the 99 we can't deserve it we don't couldn't earn it still he gives himself away I am sending behold I'm sending the promise of my father upon you wait until you are clothed with power from on high and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to Sullivan's Island in South Carolina. Let us go forth from this place today, witnesses, because we've been anointed by the power of the Spirit to bear witness to his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace through Jesus Christ. Amen.